Welcome, everybody, to Media Sandwich, a build-your-own briefing bar with ingredients across the entertainment landscape. And and this week, it's really an all-you-can-damn-well-eat scenario. Uh, I am Kyle Martinak. I'm Chris Pranger. I'm joining Kyle today, this week, for this episode. Yes, sir. This is a a two-man sandwich this time out, which I'm very excited about because it's been a good long while. Boy, two man sandwich is a that's a title. That's an episode title. It's like it's the Homer Simpson sandwich that's like Mm. a ten foot hoagie and like two more feet and I can fit it in this ridge. Marge, I need to be alone with the sandwich for a bit. Are you gonna eat it? Yes. That is actually my favorite Simpsons episode, bar none. That is the whole bit with the sandwich that opens the episode that has nothing to do with the rest of the episode is the funniest thing in the world to me, and it never stops being funny. Oh, it is so good. It's one of my favorite Simpsons bits, for sure. Well, anyways, uh, so, hey, we're living in a near monopoly of the entertainment industry by, what, like five to seven giant super conglomerates who own everything under the sun, and... Mm. uh if there's one small consolation to that depressing dystopian feeling, it's the convenience factor of having all their announcements take place in one spot at the same time. And, yep. uh, Hey, look, Disney has a very big set of announcements and we're going to try to get through some of them, a lot of them. <laughs> I'm not going to say most of them and I'm not going to say all of them. Uh, but yeah, their D23 event was this last weekend and, uh, yeah, sorry, that's, that's most of what we've got for you here. So if you're, if, if you're bugged by all the D23 stuff, sorry, that's, look, it, it, it's everyone. Things, things were declared and, and we've got to remedy the, the declarations. We've got to get through them. Now, why uh, do they call it D23? Is it like, it's like the next year, it's like, this is the 2023 year or is it like? 23 is no, symbolic no. something for Disney. It's it's always called D23. Uh, I, if I if I understand correctly, 1923 was the year that Disney was founded because uh, Yeah, so this year is a big deal for them because it's also their 100th anniversary of Disney in general, like Disney in the entertainment industry. I know that uh, the park opened in 1955. So that's their big uh, year for the theme park industry. But the animation studio, I think, first started in 23. Mm-hmm. Th- that's that's what I believe. But 23 is like a spooky number that they try to use all the time. Like from what I've heard, there's this weird like for rich people only club that you can join. That's called like Club 23 or yes. something you, I have heard it it is it, it's real I've I've definitely known people who have been to it and so they can confirm that like they do have it, it's really not I guess not overly spooky it feels spooky because you and I are never going to get to go to it, it but like <laughs> it is it does exist and I believe you get to it like at least in Disneyland through a door near um Pirates of the Caribbean I think over there in Louisiana Square and like the restaurant is near that or I might be mixing it up with something else. I don't know, because I am not special enough to be in that club. But it's like the it's like the new Batman movie, like she describes the iceberg lounge as being like the club inside the club or no, mm-hmm. 40 below is the club inside the iceberg lounge. <laughs> 
which which I believe was like straight out of like the Arkham games, which was very cool. But anyways, we're not here to talk about the Batman. No, uh, <laughs> no Disney somehow doesn't own the Batman yet. They did own the Simpsons, so the early talk about the Simpsons relevant to this still. Uh, technically, they own the Batman if he's on television because that that's a Fox thing, or it was at some point. I don't know. That's weird. That's yeah, that's weird. Oh. Which is why he's not in any television show remotely related to him, unless okay, it's like now it makes sense. Yeah, they have been because they've had a ton of like Batman related shows, but they don't have Batman. I keep thinking like the CW keeps having like, oh, we have another non Batman Batman show. I'm like, why? Why CW? Why? And that's why, because they that's why they did Arrow to start with in the first place was because they weren't allowed to do Batman, which is why that version of Green Arrow is basically just Batman. Like, (laughs) which always bugged me because I'm like, this is not the Oliver Queen from the comic books. This guy has no sense of humor. He's Mm. taking everything so seriously. He's he's more he's Batman, basically. But again, we're not here to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with video game stuff, uh, and we'll just do D23 for video games. There's plenty of other video game news that happened this week, I'm sure, but these are the things that I read. So that's what you get. That's the way the podcast works. That's Uh, the breaks. That's the breaks this week, especially. So the big showstopper was uh, Skydance Interactive's big Marvel game that stars Captain America and Black Panther in a World War II setting, which sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, very scant on details though. There, there's, uh, a, there's a little trailer, but no title, no gameplay footage, no real details as far as gameplay or a release date or anything, but we can assume it's Steve Rogers fighting alongside T'Challa's grandfather, King Azuri. So I think that's a really cool concept. And if you had told me, they're doing a Marvel game takes place in World War Two. I'm like, OK, so it's Captain America. Mm-hmm. The big thing is, oh, no, but Black Panther. I think that's the bold move. And I think it's a very smart move. Oh, it's definitely smart. Black Panther's like leaning into Black Panther like that and really showing like, yeah, we believe in this property to be you know, on par with Captain America because Black Panther, the movie Black Panther made. You know, they listed out all the money in the world and Black Panther made most of that. And and because it was a really good movie. And so I'm happy to see that. I in terms of the video game, of course, they're going to have an uphill battle because the Avengers game soiled the video game market for, for Marvel pretty badly. And the, oh, yeah. Um, the, yeah, and the Guardians of the Galaxy game that came out within a year after that, which I heard by people who actually played it. They said this is actually really good. But it was mostly ignored as well because everyone was so they, they had such a bad taste from the Marvel Avengers game that was done by I think Square Enix had a hand in that. I forget exactly which it was. Is that right? I didn't know that. Crystal Dynamics. I want to say Crystal Dynamics, but that's only because I'm thinking Square Enix and Crystals, I'm sure. But so don't quote me on that one. I don't know video games as much as I used to, but I do know that it like Square Enix, I'm pretty sure were like the publishing arm that held Marvel's Avengers and people, it wasn't totally panned. A lot of people who played it again 
liked what was there. They wanted to be better. Over the course of a year, a lot of updates fixed some things, but the the poison was done because it was considered a live service. And so there was so much microtransaction work in there. And yeah. that's what I and think anybody common thing that's the common mm-hmm. thing is that it takes a year for for a game after its release in order to be a finished product and i right. railed about that last week it's one of my huge pet peeves about the video game industry right now mm-hmm. and i think but that's anyway. going to be the difficulty with this new one which the, i saw only like the teaser shot and i know the basic concept and it sounds i hope that works because it sounds like it'll be good i i'm afraid that they Basically, Marvel's Avengers poisoned the water for games for, I'm going to say, five years at least, possibly a whole console cycle, um, just to get some distance. Like, they're going to have to release, they have to release a bunch of games in between to give that distance. And eventually, they're going to kind of turn the corner, kind of like what happened with um, uh, Arkham Asylum with Batman, where there were so many bad Batman games in a row, and they kind of had to take a breather, and finally Arkham Asylum comes out. It's like, whoa, this is really good. So, That's a good point. I forgot about that that horrible yeah. era of Batman games. I, you were working at the, uh, the Game Crazy at the time, and just every Batman game that came out looked like more and more garbage. I think the, the big mm-hmm. nadir was the... Uh, the Batman Begins licensed game was just plain terrible. It was okay. I remember we had a demo. It was okay, but it was like, it wasn't great. I mean, nothing was nothing Batman-wise feels as good as when you start to play Arkham Asylum and then Arkham City. And I haven't played any beyond those. I hear they're all pretty good. I loved Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. Those were good. And that kind of set the stage. Really, those ones shifted how everything plays. I mean, you can even feel in Sony Spider-Man, which is another phenomenal superhero game, it definitely took a lot of cues from Arkham Asylum. So that was a game changer in many ways. And I'm hoping that Marvel will get that chance because they obviously have the stories and the characters that they can make something really stellar. They just need to get that chance to make the game, hopefully remove it from a live service idea, remove it from constant transactions, remove it from an idea of like DLC, like day one DLC. That's another thing that bugs me, not just day one, but like, for instance, the new Mario and Rabbids game, they already announced that there's going to be three paid DLC packs. The game isn't even out yet. It's like another month before the game comes out and they're already announcing three DLC packs. And I'm like, I'm not interested in the game anymore. I had some interest. It's gone because I know that you've already strip some I, I can't be sure you didn't strip away content to sell it to me later now and i'm i know internally how games work i know that you have a design doc you want to hit and you have some features you have to cut for time and and budget and all that and then you hope that you can afford it later but it still feels real real gross to have that so i'm always hoping that like a game like this because i want to see a good game not just with captain america because captain america deserves a good game but black panther absolutely deserves a good a good game i, I would oh i want to see wakanda like done really really well in a game that would be cool because that's a cool place yeah no that would be an amazing place for like an open world type game and yeah. maybe that's the next thing like the next one after this would be let's go to wakanda oh yeah i mean can you imagine though if like Let's just crystal ball this. Crystal ball, genie wish, whatever. I'm making wishes here on crystal balls, apparently. Um, give Ubisoft and the Assassin's Creed crew, give them the license to do a Black Panther game and basically give us Assassin's Creed, Black Panther, 
in Wakanda. Mm. That's oh, the yeah. world I want to go to. That would I, be cool. I would show up for that in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of stuff that I, I will show up for, uh, 2K, speaking of Marvel games that have to happen in between to take the bad stink off of the, uh, the Marvel's <laughs> Avengers game, uh, 2K and Firaxis games, the folks behind my beloved XCOM games, have made a more tactical card-based combat game called uh, Marvel Midnight Suns. And they talk a lot about this at D23. The lead character is the Hunter, a legendary mm. demon slayer. I'm not sure if that's a character based in the comics or if that's a character created for this game, because I don't know Marvel Comics all that well. I but... know that fairly well, and I'm not familiar with the Hunter. At least I know him well enough at a point. Like, I, I have a breaking point where I... I know most of it from House of and like right before House of M to right after Dark Avengers, I think. So a span of maybe a decade, I have pretty good knowledge. I don't have any knowledge of this character. Yeah, this it smells to me like a character that was created for the game. The, the same thing as like uh, whatever that X-Men game was back in the day where it was like, no, you're an original character who, you know, you're joining the team. So yeah, that was one of the last case, X-Men games that I think lost right. license. Yeah. That one has an unfortunate history too. Yeah. I remember that one was pretty good though. Maybe I'm misremembering, but that one, you might be misremembering the two um, X-Men legends titles were really good, which is why they use that exact formula. Yeah. They use that exact formula to do the um, Marvel. Um, I can't remember what they called them. Marvel Ultimate Alliance. They did the those three based exactly off of the X-Men Legends. And then they did another X-Men Legends-ish game, I think. But it was this new one and it was it, it had a it got stuck in development hell for a while. And then the game that came out was not the game that they really wanted to make and was not the game anyone really wanted to play. So that's mm, well, got the case well, with uh, Marvel Midnight Suns, which ap- appears to be kind of rooted in the dark magical realm of the marvel universe it's uh like i said the the main character is a legendary demon slayer who's teaming up with i mean everybody like wolverine (laughs) iron man doctor strange the big one that they're showcasing the hell out of though is blade uh blade is heavily featured in all the stuff they've shown off and it looks very kind of like a dark gothic aesthetic like you're fighting like like hell demon spawn kind of stuff mm. uh, and it's very good looking hand-drawn animated cutscenes, uh breaking up you know very you know for axis and XCOM games you immediately think of that turn-based uh you know combat where you're using the environment you're you know you have to develop your tactics based on you know what what the next moves that are available to you that kind of stuff uh hopefully hopefully it has that kind of pace of combat to it because i like fast-paced you know third person stuff you know that the 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 marvel's avengers game and probably the new uh captain america and and black panther game is but Mm -hmm. this sounds like something fun for somebody casual who you know maybe ne- doesn't necessarily have you know the 4k tv and the proper you know 80 gigabytes of ram or whatever the hell they need right. uh although this doesn't sound like a game i'm going to be playing because it's only going to be available for xbox series x ps5 and pc 
Oh, that's uh, just silly because on- that sort of title sounds to me already super niche. Like you're gonna have to, like I'm not saying that's a bad genre. It's not a genre. It's not a mainstream genre. Like most people are not gonna be like, oh boy, I can't wait to go out to get this very tactical type of you know turn-based game or whatever that especially that uses cards and stuff like that's a hard sell for a lot of people but the people that love that are going to totally dive on that it's just that market is pretty fractured off of the other markets that then therefore i hope that the development studio specifically the publishers are aware that like we cannot expect this just because it has marvel's name to sell gangbusters like it's going to be a niche title like Best case scenario, especially on the next next gen stuff, maybe like five million copies might be like a good seller on that one. But who can say? At best, honestly, it releases December 2nd, so it's not even going to be around for like Black Friday or anything like that. So, Hmm. yeah, that doesn't strike me as one that's going to be a hot seller unless it's like grandma bought this one thinking that it's, you know, a good game for kids because it's got Spider-Man in it and stuff. But uh anyway uh moving away from marvel though um this was a surprising one from d23 is tron identity from yeah. Bithel games. uh Bithel games uh the only title of theirs that i recognized was the john wick hex game that was mm. on switch and i think on steam as well a couple of years ago like, yeah. yeah i didn't play that but i heard it was i heard it was pretty good like it was kind of a novel approach to the idea of a john wick game because you could make a crappy john wick game that's just basically you know i guess just max pain essentially right but in, instead they did something that is a lot more like uh, not puzzle based but it's kind of tactics based is that right like tactical decision making kind of thing i believe so if i if i understood it correctly yeah and that's kind of what this is with Tron Identity. It's not an action-oriented game based in the Tron universe, but a, a puzzle-based visual novel mm. and something of kind of like a detective story that takes place in the grid. So it's something closer to a Telltale game, kind of, I guess. I can get behind that. Now, I heard, like, Tron is not a property that I get jazzed for, but I am happy that they're not ready to give up on Tron entirely because it's clear that every every couple you know decades really at this point somebody at you know on disney's side really wants to make tron happen and somebody tries their best and kicks it a little bit further into like a mainstream franchise and every time someone gets a hold of it i'm happy that someone is at least trying yeah yeah and i mean tron at least looks cool so yeah, it's an IP that they should be playing around with more, especially since Disney, they don't seem to really have their shit together 100% when it comes to video games. And Tron, I mean, that's a no-brainer. That's a video game. You you should do something with it. So I'm glad they're doing something with it, at least. And at least they're trying something new. Like a, a, It sounds like a very new, wild idea for an approach to Tron, because yeah. it's not a racing game. It's not a combat game. It's not a weird platformer it's oh okay they're they're taking the approach that tron is a fun universe to to have a story uh open you know into and and that's that's a good sign i think i think that somebody over there actually cares about tron and that's why they went in this direction so 
good on them, I think. I think that's probably the smartest thing it could do, actually, because as I was saying, like there's Tron is still not mainstream. People know what it is, but most people aren't like, oh, boy, I can't wait to go see Tron or you do something with Tron. Like, but the fans of Tron are. And if you make a game that's specifically like, hey, this is going to take place in the universe very specifically. It's not just an actiony title. It's like, no, we're, we're exploring the you know the universe of tron like that's that's something the fans are going to definitely love so um, that's that's positive i hope that does well yeah me too i i think it's a good idea uh but hey but hey if you are looking for something more in the mainstream uh then certainly uh ubisoft has us covered for the new uh avatar film coming out later this year because they have a game titled avatar frontiers of pandora and that certainly sounds like your basic open world uh, collect items ubisoft game it sounds like a far cry game or an assassin's creed game or pretty much any game that those guys make over there and uh hey it takes place on the western side of pandora which I'll admit means nothing to me, but I'm sure it might someday when Avatar 8 releases directly into my frontal lobe in the distant future. <laughs> Avatar is such a strange property because I watched the movie, you know, after it had left theaters, so I didn't get the full big spectacle. I thought the movie was okay. It didn't do much for me, and I have not been looking forward to any sequels because I was like, yeah, okay, you told the story, that was fine. I, I wasn't like, oh boy, I can't wait to hear the next chapter in this saga. And knowing that there's, like, well, how many are actually planned so far? Like, they're filming, like, two and three right now, but they're, like, aren't they planned, like, through five or more? Yeah, like, two is coming out in, I want to say, like, November or December of this year. Wow. Which, I mean, it's it's funny because it just, like, snuck up on everybody because we all just kind of said, yeah, okay, it's going to say Avatar 2 coming soon on James Cameron's tombstone. Yeah. Uh, actually is coming. And then three... They already have done like principal filming on it, but it takes years to finish all of the all of the animation and stuff. Right. Uh, and I, I think he's got four, five and possibly some weird spinoff or prequel as well. Weird. I don't know. It's, it's kind of like the DC cinematic universe at this point where it's like, here's 10 years worth of planning. It's all it's... it might all get thrown out tomorrow for all. Yeah. Of Everything's going to be hinged on this second movie. And if the second movie flops, they're going to have the third one come out no matter what. But then it's going to be like, OK, now it's time to move on to literally anything else. I'm going to bet, though, I am going to uh, I'm, I'm going to bet on Avatar 2. I think that it is going to end up making a lot of money, not nearly as much as the first one, I don't think. But I think it'll make a good amount of money. Because, I mean, first of all, worldwide, it the first one made a ton of money overseas, and this one will too. But also, now that people need an excuse to go to the theater, this is the easiest excuse in the world. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that people will go just for the spectacle. Yeah, it's very true of the first one that it is fine. It is totally fine. It's not... It's not nearly as stupid and derivative and pointless as people made it out to be in the years that it, after it came out. But I mean, I rewatched on Disney Plus when it first 
when Disney Plus first dropped and Avatar was on there. And I was like, well, hey, it's here. I haven't watched it in 10 years. Let's give it a shot. Kids liked it. I was perfectly engaged by it the entire time. And it looked great on my, you know, nice 4K TV. Mm-hmm. I I would love to go see it in the theater again. It is going to re-release in the theater soon. So, you yeah. know, they want to re-release the first one so that audience members who weren't alive when the first one came out <laughs> get the full theatrical experience. And if it wasn't almost three hours long, I would probably take my kids to it because it's, it's very pretty. But the story and the characters and the plot are all just kind of fine. And I that think, makes for a movie that makes a lot of money. Yeah. I think that what Avatar 2 and 3 and all these other things are going to run into is the other element is the other Avatar, which at the time of the first movie was kind of an in-joke with the last Airbender crew. Like, man, this is silly. Everyone's going to be mixing these things up. Well, now the last Airbender, you know, the larger Avatar world has gotten pretty big and has a huge fan base now. Like the fan base for that is big and sustaining, like it's continued. And especially with Netflix making a live action series, I believe still, I know they have already announced three movies that are focused on three different important characters from Avatar, that being Zuko, Korra, and um, uh, Kyoshi, which I'm really excited for that one because Kyoshi, Avatar Kyoshi is really cool. Um, but the fact that, you know, we have other Avatar stuff and you can't easily rename either franchises like they're both known as Avatar. But one now has a movie and multiple movies coming and a theme park attraction. And the other has two full series, multiple video games, multiple comic series and ongoing stuff happening like we're going to get to a point of real confusion. And I think that's actually going to hurt the, you know, James Cameron avatar movies that there's going to be this weird, I don't know if it's going to be backlash, but there's definitely going to be some confused people just like turning away from it. Yeah, probably. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But, um, anyway, uh, another, (laughs) Another fun video game tidbit, if you're a fan of old LucasArts stuff, Return to Monkey Island is coming to PC and Nintendo Switch just next week on September 19th. Holy crap. Uh, if I I love the Monkey Island game, so this is a pleasant, fun one for me. I, I think it's a great time to resurrect it, too. The, the, that's a perfect thing to put on the Switch, I think. Definitely good for the Switch. That one, I think, actually got announced a couple months ago, and the, there was a very bad backlash on that. It was really disappointing to hear um, where the they, the they changed the art style because it's a remake of an earlier game. I haven't played any of the Monkey Island games. I hear they're good, and I know they're, I know I they're good. The sequel. What's that? I thought, it, I thought this new one was a sequel. I didn't know it was a remake. Uh, if I understand, um, unless they just announced a new one, I don't know. I've heard if if it's coming out this year, it's they had announced a remake of one of them a while ago, and the remake has a slightly different art style, and, and there was a big discussion. Discussion's a nice word. There was a, a a kerfuffle about that, and it caused such backlash that a lot of the developers were being harassed. And the like, head lead developers had to make statements, basically telling fans to piss off. They were pissed. 
and they like shut down all, all communication about it for a while. So it's one of those really unfortunate situations of, you know, a good property getting another shot, bad fan reactions, you know, bad fans, boo. And I'm hoping that it comes out and is ultimately like positive for everything. But it's anything Monkey Island right now. I'm like, oh, I don't know. That's a, that's a bummer. Yeah. Well, there can damn. be no pure things well, anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the name of the game these days. Every everything pisses somebody off. Everything's yeah. bad for something. Running's bad for your knees. But, <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what's not bad for anything, uh, except for probably uh, some of the people that work at the developer because they're not known for treating their employees well. Uh, Bethesda, <laughs> and um, <laughs> specifically Machine Games, though, the studio behind the rebooted Wolfenstein series, which I've been enjoying the hell out of. Those new mm. Wolfenstein games rock. Uh, they have an Indiana Jones game on the horizon. Oh, which weird. It's not not a lot of concrete details. This one's probably in a little bit more of the distant future, but I'm down. I'm so down, uh, as as George Costanza says. <laughs> uh, and it looks like it might take place in Italy. There's like uh, possibly a Rome Vatican situation. It's a, it's not going to be uh, related to Indiana Jones Five, which is coming soon. Uh, it's more like this takes place in between like the two first movies. So it'll be him at the height of his powers. And probably you're going to you're going to see some Nazis and it's machine games who like they specialize in games where you kill Nazis. So that's kind of funny. There you go. I don't know. I'm excited for that. That's especially if boy, there better be some form of puzzle solving, some kind of like. You know, don't make it just an action game. Make it make it a fun intellectual thing too. Make me make me try to find a secret door in a library. Just let me have that. It's, uh, it's tough because on one hand, I'm like, oh, Indiana Jones game, make it an Uncharted type game. But I'm like, but we already have an Uncharted game, and we have the Tomb Raider games that are you know newer ones. So like, well, we already have those covers. So well, you want something different, but at the same time. The Uncharted type style works so well for Indiana Jones, especially, I mean, if it's, I can't imagine first person Indiana Jones being fun. So you've got to have a third person action because you've got to be able to have the whip in play. The whip has got to be in play. So you can't really do that with first person. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. No, that's got to be third person. There's no yeah. way that you do Indiana Jones and you don't see the hat and the jacket and mm -hmm. the, the satchel and all of that stuff. That's that's part of it, right? That's yeah. That's like if they made a Sp the Spider-Man game first person, right? What a waste that would be. Yeah. And speaking of the Spider-Man game, uh, Insomniac is cooking up a sequel to that, uh, as well as a standalone Wolverine game that's coming out pretty soon. I think they had a little bit of stuff related to that at D23 as well, but I didn't get pretty far into it. Because uh, it just makes me sad because I can't play Spider-Man. <laughs> soon, soon, I'm sure you'll be able to play it. You'll find a way. I'll get there. I'll get there eventually. Uh, but that was pretty much it for video games. I didn't have uh, anything beyond that. But we, the, the good news is we've got so many movie things to talk about instead. Uh, before we get into the movie-related announcements from D23 specifically, 
Let's take a short break from Disney to talk about some other cool stuff happening movie-wise. For one, despite their parent company recently filing for bankruptcy, which sucks for members like me, uh, Regal Cinemas are trying to make the Halloween season extra spooky this year with some special screenings of uh, some old gems. Among their selections are John Carpenter's original Halloween from 1978, one of my favorites. Uh, That dovetails nicely with the release of Halloween Ends as well, so that makes sense. But also a 25th anniversary release of Scream 2, which that's fun for me because that was actually one of my introductions into slasher movies. I I can't explain this, but my parents were like, oh, Scream is a bloody slasher horror movie, much too violent and scary for you, Kyle. Go in the other room. It's 1996. You can't be watching this. Then Hmm. literally one year later, almost to the day. They're like, ah, screw it. Come in here in the family room and let's watch Scream 2 together. <laughs> so it was uh, it was a big intro for me to the concept of slasher sequels as well, because it's a movie that's all about it's it's all about the concept of the sequel in the slasher genre. But mm-hmm. anyway, that one's going to be showing as well as uh, Joel Schumacher's teen vampire flick, The Lost Boys which is a whole lot of fun. I recently rewatched that one. Man, that's a fun, stupid, but entertaining movie. Uh, but the, the really big one uh, I thought was the big news is Michael Doherty's 2007 anthology horror movie, Trick or Treat, which hmm. never got a theatrical release back then. It went straight to DVD back hmm. during our college days. Uh, and, and it was a real gem. It was a really terrific movie. Uh, I love an anthology horror movie. I recently—I say recently, but it was probably like half a dozen years ago now. I went back and rewatched the very first anthology horror movie, which was Dead of Night from back in 1945. And I mm. wrote a little review of that. Uh, I think you can still see it on media-sandwich.com for anybody interested. But yeah, Dead of Night, uh, Creep Show, the VHS series. Tales from the Crypt, those are all fantastic. There's something about, you know, let's just have a group of short stories that play out, you know, naturally over the course of 15, 25 minutes at the most, and then just jump into another story. But Trick or Treat is cool because it's about a bunch of intertwined tales of kids being terrorized on the same Halloween night. And that's fun. It's it's a I think that'd be a great one for people to go see in the theater because it's never been seen in the theater before, except for when it premiered at a film festival back then. And uh, by the way, Michael Doherty has gone on to big things since that movie. He did 2015's Krampus, which makes sense. It's another like people, you know, paying the penalty during a holiday season kind of thing. And then. Uh, 2018's Godzilla King of the Monsters. I think that was 2018. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, the second of the current uh, American Godzilla uh, cycle that's happening right now. I, I, uh, of those movies, that one I found pretty stupid, but fun and engaging. Uh, kind, of, kind of the same way I found uh, Godzilla versus Kong a couple years hmm. ago. I, those are fun. They're not, they're not, you know, great cinema, but they're an amusing diversion. If you happen to like giant monster movies. Yeah. 
anyway, um, next uh, non-Disney related movie news that I wanted to touch on. Anna Kendrick is going to direct her first film. And it's a project that she's been attached to since 2021 when Netflix first announced that they were producing it. I guess the initial director left the project and Anna Kendrick liked the script so much. She decided I'm going to shoot my shot. I'm going to, I'm going to try to make this happen and she's going to direct it herself, which good for her. That's a big leap. And I can say on good authority that this story is a good one. The movie is called the dating game and it's about uh, Cheryl Bradshaw, who was a contestant on that 1970s game show, the dating game wherein she unfortunately picked bachelor number one, whose name was Rodney Alcala. And Rodney was in fact an active serial killer at the time. So I read the book, the dating game killer, which is about Rodney. And yeah, it's, it's a real episode of mind hunters uh, in, in all shapes and sizes. It's the guy is, Ooh, doggy, it's it's don't don't read it before going to bed. I'll tell you that. But uh, now in real life, uh, Cheryl Bradshaw ended up declining to go on the date with Rodney at all because he was so very plainly a creeper of the highest order. And if if you all want, you can watch the episode of the dating game that features these two people. It's on YouTube all over the place with like dating game killer attached to it. Cause you know, they found out afterwards and he's still in jail now, I, I think. And it's, it's just kind of this fun curio of, Oh, watch this episode of a cheese ball game show from the seventies, where this girl is flirting with a guy who is very plainly a psychopath. Like he's being so transparently disgusting, even by the standards of that incredibly disgusting show. Cause I don't know, Chris, did you ever watch the, anything of the dating game? Did you ever see any old clips of it or anything? Nah, never watched it. Yeah, you're fine, because it's, <laughs> it's just like, okay, who can make the most ridiculous double entendre? Who can, who can make this innocuous question about what kind of fruit are you as <laughs> dirty as humanly possible? And... I don't understand how that sustained like uh, a regular television show for years, but it did. That was during that era where they'd make a game show out of anything and people would watch it because there were three channels, Mm -hmm. but it's really disturbing to watch this guy because he's like, you go in knowing he's a serial killer and that kind of ruins, you know, the, the context of it. But people are like howling at his answers. Like he's the invention of comedy. And it's like, this is so gross and terrible and horrifying. It's almost like it almost plays like a Mr. Show sketch about an obvious serial killer being on the dating game. Mm -hmm. But anyway, Anna Kendrick is also starring as Cheryl Bradshaw in the movie. In addition to directing the script, which uh, was actually on the Hollywood blacklist. Now, if you all don't know, the Hollywood Blacklist is an industry roundup of all the best unproduced scripts, like the scripts that everybody passed on, but everybody Mm -hmm. thought was good. And the thing about the Blacklist, she is a fickle mistress. She she giveth and she really taketh away. Uh, We've gotten some absolute gems from the Blacklist, like in Bruges. I love that movie so much. 
Juno, an undeniable monster hit. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street. You know, it, some of some of the scripts on this list that comes out every year are you know fan, they end up becoming fantastic movies. The majority of them end up becoming like they're potentially terrific scripts that are executed into abysmal movies or just like people realize way too late. Oh no, this only works on paper. And once you start filming it, words hmm. are coming out. I don't know. I don't know how to stop it. Like, uh, <laughs> the Will Smith suicide by jellyfish melodrama, seven pounds. Sorry to spoil the ending of seven pounds. If anybody was ever going to watch that, um, the buddy cop comedy, a couple of dicks, which became Kevin Smith's cop out. That was on the blacklist for the longest time. And unfortunately, things went the way they did on that one. Uh, oh, one of my favorites to, to cite as a bad blacklist script, the Taylor Lautner gritty action movie Abduction, which not even John Singleton's direction could save. Uh, boy, when I think of gritty action dramas, I certainly think Taylor Lautner. But uh hey good luck to anna kendrick i hope it goes well i you know it, the book was very gripping i'm sure the story is it's going to work out pretty well it's seems like they're going to take some liberties with the actual events but that's fine anyway um i had a couple other non-disney things to to touch on but i think we'll just skip right into that stuff because we got a lot of it we knew there's a lot um many many movies and things many many movies uh first of all though before we even get into the movies what comes before the movie starts the fanfare the the you know the production logo and disney showed off at d23 a new 100 years of wonder castle fanfare you know the the traditional disney castle fanfare that starts every disney movie Mm -hmm. It's evolved over the years. It used to be like back in the 90s, it was just the blue with white castle on it. And that was, you know, that that's one that we all remember from our youth. Mm -hmm. And then they updated it when they started doing like uh, CG animated movies to, you know, the kind of yeah, yeah, it looks like it's out of one of their movies. It looks like something out of like Tangled or Frozen uh, Castle, same castle and everything just looks very polished and such. I and, love I love that that studio logo like or that studio uh, clip with that castle like the red 3D rendered castle because I want to go to that land it looks cool it looks interesting I want to know more about that and it drives me nuts that it's like no this is literally just to tell you that it's a Disney movie and like but like there's something there like that that looks like a cool world to explore right there tell me more. Well, I, I will tell you more because the new one is the same exact clip, only now it looks like almost almost like uh, like live action realistic in its animation. Mm -hmm. The 100 Years of Wonder one is it's the same uh, approaching the castle clip, but the animation has been polished even further. And I think there's like color leaking into it to, you know, fully realize it as a landscape instead of just like the blue tinted version that we're used to so i watched it and i got this I'm, I'm impressed by the animation it's a beautiful piece of animation 
that's just there to start every Disney movie. So uh, check that out for for starters. That's a great primer for all the stuff that we're about to talk about. And the best part, I think that that 100 Years of Wonder uh, Castle fanfare is probably going to be the topic of an entire episode of the Blank Check podcast because those guys <laughs> talk about opening logos forever. They did an episode that was just they called it Oops All Fanfares. I think that was on their Patreon. But hmm. I love those guys, and I love it when they talk about that stuff. Uh, and it's funny that Disney is like, check out our new logo, thump, you know, uh, just dropping the mic on the table. Meanwhile, Warner Brothers' new one, not popular with people. Uh, not not a big not a big thing that people like. But uh, anyway, getting into the actual movie news, uh, most of the announcements were from the unnecessary live action remake of an animated classic division of Disney. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a whole other division now. Yeah. Uh, we saw a good uh, opening chunk of the little mermaid, which looks like it's going to have a lot of pomp and circumstance to it. Uh, it's going to release in cinemas uh, May of 2023. And they showed a little clip of just like approaching Ariel underwater as she sings the opening couple lines of part of your world and yeah i mean it deserves pomp and circumstance the little mermaid was the movie that brought disney back from the brink back in like the late 80s so now it's it's really weird that the legacy is now that it's the movie that people are getting weirdly pissy about because the mermaid's skin color is not what they expected pretty weird wild stuff but it's Definitely one of those movies that um, I'm because of everything that's going to surround it. I am so not looking forward to anything, anything about it leading up to it Um, because I saw the clip and I I had two reactions to the clip. A, I'm like, oh, damn, Ariel can sing. And that's the only thing I care about with Ariel. And the other reaction was. Damn, Ariel has real like fish parts, and that looks weird. And the fact that they went so into like, no, no, this she's like real fish. I'm like, oh, that's that's uncanny. And I don't know if I'm okay with the fact that she's got like fish fins on her tail. That was weird. I don't care what I don't care anything else about how she looks. She could sing, and that's good. And she's got weird fish parts, and that's not as good. But I think the movie's going to be really, really good. I mean, anything I've heard about it, I mean, it's they're clearly putting their weight behind it. I mean, they put their weight behind any of the live action ones with, that they're going to release into theaters to, you know, to some extent. But this one especially, like, they're really pushing for it to be something big. Oh, yeah. Th- this is the one that I think they're putting the most weight behind in terms of all of the live action remakes. And and yeah, I mean, to 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 your point, yeah, Halle Bailey, who plays Ariel, she's a Grammy nominee. Like, she's a legit pop star. So mm-hmm. she's a she's a good pick for this for the singing aspect. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know. It's one that my daughter's definitely going to want to watch. We ended up watching all the live action remakes on Disney Plus uh, during the height of lockdown and. Boy, there's some that work and there's some that don't. A lot of them don't. But <laughs> this this one, I think, will work. I, I think that this one's going to end up being one of the ones that they'll that people will remember past its, you know, past its opening in the theaters and its day that it drops on Disney Plus. 
And there are a lot that don't make it past those dates uh, that just kind of disappear into the ether. Mm-hmm. Uh, case in point, case in point, there's a, they're, they're doing a live action Snow White. Uh, mm. That's starring West Side Stories, Rachel Zegler as Snow White and oh, Gal Gadot yeah. will be the queen. Huh. And uh, my my only reaction to that is at this point there are so many different versions of the Snow White story that we've seen in movies that at this point the only novelty is that this one doesn't have to avoid the Disney copyrights on the dwarves and the costumes and such. I mean, we've we've seen we've seen it reimagined as like a Lord of the Rings kind of thing with the Kristen Stewart version. We saw. Uh, the uh, there was one that was like weirdly television movie level that I think Julia Roberts was in, or maybe I'm maybe I'm conflating things. But there have been like five or six Snow White movies in the last ten or fifteen years, I think. Yeah. And the only thing they all had in common was they're not the Disney version because legally they can't be. Mm-hmm. This one is the only reason it exists. I, I did hear, I remember this one had a little bit of buzz uh, a few months back because Peter Dinklage weighed in and he's like, the fact that you're going to make a Snow White movie now with, you know, how are you going to handle the dwarves? And he was just like, there's no way you can do it well. And I'm, that one made me really nervous. I'm like, oh, he's right. And also, what do they do? And Disney's like, oh, actually, we'd been planning on that. We're not ready to talk about it yet, but we do have an idea. And it's like, oh, this is either going to be a really good idea and we're going to go, oh, oh, that's interesting. We hadn't thought of it that way. We can do the story in a way that's not going to, you know, be cringy or they don't really have an idea. And it's going to be like, oh, no, they're like mythical creatures now that are just like not even humanoid or something like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm they didn't show any actual footage from the movie, did they? They just said more stuff about it. at yeah. point to me. Now this one's a lot further out, uh, so I don't I don't even think it has a release date yet. So they they might still be filming. I'm not sure, but I don't know because I didn't really look too far into this one because it's one of the least interesting things that they announced, honestly. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing that is at very least an interesting thing they announced, at least interesting in that it made me go what, and that's Mufasa, a prequel to the largely unremarkable and instantly forgotten remake of The Lion King. That's a weird choice. Such a strange and uninspired and unoriginal idea coming to theaters in 2024. Uh, that, that must be what they believe in because it's coming to theaters. Will James Earl Jones be doing the voice? That I don't know. Again, didn't look too far into it because I'm like, wow, okay. Um, this that one, is... I know. It's not directed by John Favreau the way the the first one was because he's busy playing in Star Wars world now. So this one is helmed by and this is the part that made me go, what? The, the director for this one is Barry Jenkins, the director of Best Picture winner Moonlight, among other things. Hmm. That I seems see. like a really weird choice for everybody involved. It could work. I, I definitely like for me, if it's not James Earl Jones. I that's going to be a tough sell. I think I'm like, well, then there's no reason to see it because it's not really Mufasa. But other than that, it's like, well, I don't know. Like the story of Mufasa is, it's another one. I was like, 
can you think of a single reason why they need to have a story about Mufasa? No, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The only thing I can think of for this to exist is it's a way for Barry Jenkins to cut his teeth on a big, expensive Disney project so that he can then move on to either a Star Wars or a Marvel. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the only reason it exists. And that makes me sick, as I've discussed on this podcast many, many times. Yeah. Anyways, uh, moving right along to Disenchanted, a sequel to Enchanted coming directly to Disney Plus on November 24th. Now, this one, it sounds like uh, they figured it wouldn't do well in theaters, but it will do great for family viewings during Thanksgiving. So that makes sense. It does make sense because Enchanted is fantastic, and also Disney tried to make everyone forget about it for a while, mostly because, like, Tangled and Frozen did basically Enchanted again in many ways. Like, they started to, like, because Enchanted, the whole point of it was that it was pointing out how the tropies are so trope. And and with, the in, you know, it went well, but then they actually started doing it within the actual movies, like their mainstream movies. So I think mm-hmm. they're like, okay, let's all kind of forget that we kind of did this because everyone's, you know, got a little big buzz about, oh, they're breaking their usual tropes and they're aware, they're self-aware now and they know. I don't know. Enchanted is great. We, like, kids like it. That's, it's oh, yeah. Enchanted is terrific and a sequel to it sounds like a great idea. Sounds like it would have been a better idea like 12 years ago, though. This is really belated, and that's strange. I mean, I know Amy Adams was busy pretty much for the last 12 years, so that makes sense. But I mean, I guess I'll I'll say this. It's not nearly as belated as the also straight to Disney Plus sequel to Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus is on my letterbox list of movies I don't understand why they're considered to be classics. Uh, It's fine. Like, I just feel like a Disney clamshell VHS case for a lot of people automatically qualifies a movie to be a beloved classic. And that's not the case for me. There are plenty of them that were just fine or were total stinkers. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, I'm going to be staying away from this one, probably. I didn't hold a lot of affinity for the first one, and this seems like it's direct fan service for anybody who did love the first one. So if you did have at you, have a great time with it, I'm not gonna. Yeah. I am I am slightly amused that Bette Midler recently decided to make some casual transphobic opinions known on Twitter. I'm sure Disney PR is loving that, and that's probably why it went directly to Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. But uh, that one's coming September 30th, so have fun, uh, fans of the whatever sisters. Wait, uh, September 30th? September 30th. Oh, September 30th. Okay, I'm like, Dece- uh, yeah, December 30th, like, well, that misses the whole point. You want to have it for October. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. No, it's September 30th, which it hits the point perfectly. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, also, we've got Peter Pan and Wendy, another live action remake that I'm sure is going to take great pains to be at very least less racist towards native people. They actually, from what I see in the cast list, they have an actual native person playing Tiger Lily, at least. Oh, wow. That actually include Tiger Lily. I thought they would just ignore that entirely. All right. Good for them. Yeah. I mean, 
We'll see. Look, I don't know. Uh, at least Rooney Mara isn't playing Tiger Lily is my big thing. Like yeah. that happened a couple of years ago and I was like, Whew, what a bad choice. But as the title suggests, this one's supposed to be largely from Wendy's perspective. And that, that sounds like a good idea. I seem to remember the original stories being a lot more from the darling children's POV rather mm. than Peter and the lost boys. So there's somebody at Disney who's trying to find something remotely new and interesting in a story that's been told so many times at this point. Yeah. Cause Peter Pan's uh, in public domain too, right? That one is. Yeah. So this is another case just like snow white of like, well, what do we do with it? Well, we do all the things that we can do because we have the copyright to them. So, hmm. you know, Tinkerbell, uh, the, the very specific costumes. Uh, Jude Law, I believe, is playing Captain Hook in this version, if that okay, doesn't yes. for you. And <laughs> that one, they, they must not believe a lot in that one because that one's coming uh, directly to Disney Plus in 2023 see that's a bummer that when they start to announce that sort of stuff it, it says to people yeah we don't think it's gonna be good like the pinocchio one that just dropped i wasn't aware of it until they're like oh by the way coming on disney plus day uh yeah pinocchio with tom hanks as geppetto yeah. what yeah i wasn't aware that one existed at all until the day it landed and the reviews were out saying it's not great bob um Ooh. I, I feel really bad for Robert Zemeckis, who that's his second in a row of movies that went straight to streaming and got abysmal reviews because he also did the remake of The Witches for HBO Max last year. Oh, right, that right. one was, I guess, really bad. Hmm. Uh, that's that's the guy who did Back to the Future and, and uh, Castaway and Death Becomes Her and uh, so many great movies. And, you know. I feel bad because now it's like he's playing ninth banana to a lot of other people, but yeah, it happens. Um, speaking of things that happen, <laughs> I guess that could be a segue into anything, but they also have turned the haunted mansion ride into a movie again, again. <laughs> <laughs> this time without Eddie Murphy at his lowest professional point. Uh, probably a good idea. Um, this one actually has Jamie Lee Curtis at arguably one of her highest professional points after she's got the Halloween reboot movies. Knives Out was only a couple years ago. Everything Everywhere All at Once was this last year. She's fantastic in that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's what I hear. I, she's kind of on fire right now. And she's a good follow on Twitter, too. So she's kind of she's finding a good second wind on her career and the haunted mansion. Okay, fine. You know, of in, in the, the grab bag of Disney rides that you would try to turn into a movie. That's definitely one that works better <laughs> from a narrative standpoint. Um, mm -hmm. works better than, you know, it works better than like Matterhorn, I guess. Um, are they doing a Matterhorn movie? No, they didn't. I mean, not that I know of, but I don't even know if Matterhorn still exists anymore, does it? It does. Does anybody go on it or is it just like the scary one that people point at and say, that one's very rickety. Don't touch it. No, I mean, they're they're working on the frozen world. So once they have the frozen world up, they might completely get rid of the Matterhorn. I've heard 
rumblings here and there. Most people would be mad that they got rid of the Matterhorn because that's that's like that's part of Disneyland at this point. You gotta have it. But on the other hand, it's well, you know, it's have you seen all this stuff? It is definitely. Have you seen all the stuff though of people who are so like absolutely pissed that they're changing Splash Mountain into a Princess and the Frog ride? Needed to happen. Needed to happen. Yeah, but there are some people who are like, this is the hill that they're dying on. I'm like, really? Splash Mountain? I mean, <laughs> even as a kid, I knew it was kind of lame, but whatever. Um, no, I think that updating Splash Mountain to be Prince and the Frog themed was a wise decision because it still keeps the same sort of like Southern feel to it, but it updates it. I mean, this is something they do a lot i mean I, I think it's have you seen the disney plus series like the um like the behind the attraction one i forget now now i can't remember the name but the one it goes over basically every major disney park not major every that, disney park i should watch that though i i think i'd be really interested in that it's so I really that. good yeah uh, beware because after you watch every episode you're going to want to go to every park and so it's very dangerous for the wallet, but it's really cool. And they talk about all that. And I'm pretty sure they talk about plussing and that's the big thing. And they, they even have one uh, more recent touch on, they touch on the Peter Pan ride that they updated. And I think they said they, they call it, I'm pretty sure they said like we, we plussed the ride, which means that they updated it to kind of be as good now as you remember it being then. And there are definitely rides that desperately need that. And I, I mean, Splash Mountain's one of those where here is a big staple of Disneyland. Everyone knows and loves or is aware, at least, of Splash Mountain. Um, I don't like it because I don't like drops in my rides. But that's not that's not the point. Um, point is, it's important enough they want to keep it. But having that much landscape be for a property that they cannot actively ever even talk about anymore is foolish. And it makes sense for them to be like, no, Tiana has a Disney plus series coming. Tiana is in the princess line. The princess and the frog is a great movie that it, when people finally go back and rewatch it, they're like, Oh, wait a second. This was excellent. Why did I miss this the first time? It's really good, really catchy and really fun. So like being able to finally now, merchandise that whole park part of the park is very smart it's my there's my soapbox now i can step off of it no you're absolutely right it's i mean it's they're leaving money on the table every month that they leave it as the you know (laughs) mr rabbit's racist ride um (laughs) which is pretty much what it is but anyway so moving out of disney uh direct direct disney that leaves Pixar to bat cleanup, and they have several projects in the fire. Mm-hmm. And I say fire on purpose because the big one they announced was Elemental, which follows a very time-honored Pixar tradition. What if this object or abstract concept <laughs> was a living being in a world populated by other objects or abstract concepts? Mm-hmm. Um, in this one, it's fire, water, air, and earth all together in one world where everyone is an element as a personified character. And I get, I guess the hook on this is that it's about a neighborhood that mixes these different elements together, a melting pot, if you will. Mm. So it's, it's kind of the theme about being immigrants and living in a new place surrounded by other cultures. 
which kind of sounds interesting. It sounds like a subtle way to tell that story without, you know, hammering it into people's heads. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that sounds like a fun idea. And it releases in June of 2023 in theaters, Mm. uh, which I was pleasantly surprised to hear. Uh, The other big Pixar movie is Elio, uh, which follows an introverted but artistic kid who gets beamed into space and accidentally becomes an ambassador for Earth to alien cultures. So kind of following the other Pixar tradition of a late, uh, uh, like a coming of age story where a kid falls into a magical world and finds their tribe. Kind of the (laughs) same thing they've been doing a lot lately. And that one's coming spring of 2024. I did hear they're doing an Inside Out 2. That was my next thing. Yeah, Amy Poehler came out on stage and just kind of announced very excitedly, Inside Out 2 is happening, and that's it. That's all the details we've got. Uh, It really sounded like a we just inked the deal backstage kind of situation. I (laughs) have... No idea what they do next with that. And I, because it felt like, I mean, I loved Inside Out. That was, that was a great one. I loved it a lot. Oh, yeah. um, but that one also felt like it was like, okay, we've told the story. There's no more need to go into this story. We've told the story. And if we, I feel like if you stay in that world any longer, you cannot take it seriously anymore because it's it bends the suspension of disbelief as far as that branch can go without snapping in half because it's like okay there's a lot that you're just basically word playing here and i'm fine with it because it's really a good movie and i'm having a lot of fun but at the same time none of this makes any sense so (laughs) i I guess i'll have to wait to see what they're actually doing I'm not, I'm not sure wh- where they take it. Uh, she did mention that all of the emotions are back. And the way she phrased it was they're going on another adventure in Riley's head. So Riley does return. I have to imagine that they're probably going to age her up a bit. And it'll be maybe about her transitioning into adulthood. But yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I, I did love Inside Out as well. So I'm, I'm game to see what they have cooked up. But the big, big thing for me was that all three of these Pixar movies were announced to be releasing theatrically, mm-hmm. allegedly, allegedly um, that, that could change. <laughs> but it's been like three straight years of Pixar movies getting punted directly to Disney Plus. And that, I think it's, it's very good news that that might be over with because well, like there are a couple went of to, went to theaters. Which did? Lightyear. Oh, that's true. I completely forgot about Lightyear, even though I actually liked it quite a bit. I, yeah. I mean, I Lightyear went, it went to theaters and then came home like the next day, but it went. It did. I actually really dug it. My my family dug it. We watched it again uh, on Disney+. Plus. It's It's a good movie. I think it's hilarious that some people just could not wrap their head around the concept of it. It's like, it's not that big of a crazy idea. It's just a Buzz Lightyear movie. Like they did a Buzz Lightyear and Star Command animated series years ago and nobody had a problem wrapping their heads around it. So I don't get why this one was a big deal. But 
uh no it's it's fun it's actually just a fun movie if i was like my son's age like if i was eight to ten years old when this one came out it would have been my favorite movie of the year because i'm a sucker for space stuff mm-hmm. uh, but yeah I, I did forget about that one because it doesn't seem like a pixar movie honestly mm-hmm. it almost feels more like a you know actual disney animated feature outside of pixar in terms of tone but mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I mean, that's uh, I, I, that's a lot of stuff that they're announcing right there. I, I think that Pixar is going to do well with these projects. And uh, I think they also have a Pixar uh, series that's coming to Disney Plus as well. Uh, it's about a baseball team, I think. I didn't see a whole lot about that one, but mm. that sounds interesting. Um we didn't get into any of the Marvel stuff. I was going to lump that in with TV news because I maintain that the MCU is mostly just a giant television show now anyway. It and is. we got to, we got to break up this Disney stuff a little bit. Do you, uh, are you, so are you going to talk about any more Disney movies or are we just going straight to Marvel? And that's that. Uh, well, I was going to break it up and talk about comic books cause that is one of my categories, but uh, funny enough, it is a Marvel comic book. <laughs> so technically we're not outside the Disney umbrella. I but, was just wondering yeah. if we're going to talk about the movie Wish. Oh, I forgot about Wish. You know, I didn't have that in my notes, but uh, what is that one? Can you tell uh, me about it? Um, I only saw the tweet that it's like, um, learn the history of the star that all the other Disney characters wish upon. So we're getting an origin story of the when you wish upon a star, star which is a weird idea and i feel like i didn't see oh. i didn't see what they showed cuz i think they actually showed a little bit off and some people like oh this is like a fusion of like 2D and 3D animation potentially it sounds like it's a big damn swing um and just a weird like <laughs> someone is definitely like on some edibles or something in the in the pitch room like i got it we have not talked about the star from when you wish upon a star. And everyone's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, no, 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 no. You're doing a Mufasa prequel. We can do this too. And some other guys like, yeah, let's do it. All right. That's, That's a really, really strange idea that I, I'm not opposed to. I don't mind if they do weird things. And yeah. if it is a big sway, if they are like mishmashing 2d and 3d animation together, that sounds interesting. It sounds like it's kind of, Hey, this is about, you know, the meta context being, this is a movie about Disney and how we've changed the world of magic and wishes and whatnot that you've prayed to since you were a child. It feels like it's a, joke like a parody sketch would point out like oh coming from disney wish about the star from when you wish upon a star like it sounds like it's supposed to be a gag it, it sounds like uh pat oswald's bit about the uh, star wars prequels where it's like do you love star yeah. wars yeah do you want to see what it was like? do you like darth vader yeah i love darth vader would you like to see what he was like as a little kid uh <laughs> no well, how about Boba Fett? Do you like Boba Fett? How'd you like to see him as a little kid? Uh, how about, do you like the Death Star? Would you like to see how the Death Star was built? Kind of like it was a little kid. Um, 
that's not that's not verbatim um <laughs> but that's kind of what this feels like to me is like this is the next evolution of that is would you like to see an origin story of the wish or the concept of wishing upon mm-hmm. a star from the song when you wish upon a star which is in fact kind of our flagship song Mm-hmm. Uh, which they, they they did open with the the actress who plays the blue fairy in the Pinocchio movie that stunk up the shaft this last week. She came out and sang uh, "When You Wish Upon a Star," which is her song in that movie instead of Jiminy Cricket. By the way, uh, huh? I mean that's hmm. fine because Jiminy Cricket's played by Joseph Gordon Levitt, I think, and I don't know if he can mm-hmm. sing at all, but. This is uh, this is weird. This is all this is all very weird. This is a weird D twenty three we're getting. Um, <laughs> so comics. Let's jump to the comics then. Let's jump to Marvel Comics really fast, which is owned by Disney. But this is uh, something something I really wanted to touch on. It came out this week, so uh, this is not something coming up. It's something that's already available now. Um, legendary comic book artist Alex Ross debuted. Fantastic Four Full Circle. That's the title. Mm-hmm. Fantastic Four colon Full Circle, which is a full 64-page graphic novel that he wrote and illustrated. This is the mm-hmm. first time that he's done double duty as writer and artist. Uh, but everybody knows Alex Ross as the man who did uh, the art for DC's Kingdom Come, uh, the 1994 Marvel's miniseries for Marvel, and I mean, gorgeous he's been art. doing up, say gorgeous, again, gorgeous art. He does gorgeous artwork. Oh, absolutely. He's been doing cover art for things, you know, for decades now. Uh, I recently started rereading um, Kevin Smith's Green Hornet comic book series because it's on my uh, digital library thingy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that Alex Ross did all of these fantastic covers for it. It makes it looks like pulp magazine covers featuring the green Hornet and Kato. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. Just, uh, I think I can say this. He's the Drew Struzan of comic books. If you know, Drew Struzan is the guy who painted all of those wonderful, uh, movie posters that you remember from when you were a kid, like all of the greatest movie posters that were rendered as paintings. Those are all Drew Struzan. Alex Ross is the Drew Struzan of comic books. He's done all of the most, you know, memorable, wonderful art. He has his own beautiful style. That's like, it's, uh, I don't, I don't have the vocabulary art wise to tell to say exactly what it is, but all of his art is paintings. It's not like, you know, digital drawing or anything. So anyway, he, uh, fantastic for full circle is this story that he's been kicking around for years about the first family of Marvel themselves, the fantastic four who are about to be a huge thing in the MCU. I'm predicting, uh, they go on a fantastic voyage through the negative zone and they discover a figure from their past, Ricardo Jones. Now you might not recognize the name, but he's the antagonist from arguably the most famous issue of fantastic four. Issue number 51 of the original Stanley run. Uh, the title of the issue is This Man, This Monster. Now, that is an issue that is famous for being Stanley's favorite comic he ever did, as well as it's the one that's used as an example in uh, 
Scott McCloud's book, Understanding Comics, which is like required reading these days for anybody who wants to get into comics, or it used to be, it probably isn't anymore, but it's arguably one of the most significant issues in Marvel Comics. It's a very iconic cover. I actually have it on my wall, uh, rendered as one of those wooden poster things you can get in the uh, home department at Ross Dress for Less. You know how they have like the the art, like you can get pop art and stuff on like a wood panel. I had to get that one because I analyzed the crap out of this one issue of a comic just to see this is how the medium works. This is how you write a comic. This is how you go through the 22 page arc of a comic book. Mm -hmm. Uh, so this is kind of that, like, this is bringing back that story in a fun way. And I'm an easy sell on that. That It's very reverent of the fantastic force history while, you know, doing kind of a timeless story that people can pick up as their first fantastic four story before they become huge with a movie and a new run in the comics that's starting soon. Uh, what a slam dunk. What a great idea. And I, I think it's so cool that Alex Ross is finally like, I've had this idea in my head for years. I'm just going to do it. I have enough clout these days, don't I? And yes, he does. Um, yeah, I, I think I might have to actually buy a print copy of this and maybe write a review. Uh, I read mostly digital now because I just don't have space for comics or graphic novels anymore. But this is one I might want to own for real. So that came out on september 6th definitely check it out if it sounds interesting to you uh yeah man that guy's art is something else isn't it mm-hmm. uh okay that was it for comics that's the only thing i wanted to touch on is just that that happened this last week and i'm like man i want to talk about that so i did i did that you've done it uh, i've done it now um, so that moves us into the last category, which would be TV, but is now TV and movies, kind of, because it involves Marvel as well as Star Wars and whatnot. Uh, before we get into that stuff, though, quick news item. If you're a Star Trek fan instead, and if you watched this last season of Strange New Worlds, uh, the first season that just came out this last summer, then you know that the Enterprise is... Spoiler, 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 spoilers. The Enterprise is in need of a new chief engineer. That's all I'm going to say. That's the only way I'm going to phrase it. But I'm also rolling a couple of tears. Uh, anyway, a new chief has been found in legendary actress of stage and screen, Carol Kane. I love Carol Kane. She is amazing. I, you know, she, of course, uh, very big on Broadway with uh, Wicked when that came out. But. If you're a movie fan, then you've known her from, I mean, geez, everything. She was uh, grandma in Adam's family. Uh, she She's in, uh, well, she's in a couple of Woody Allen movies that we don't need to talk about. But, uh, I mean, look up Carol Kane if you don't know the name. She's, she's amazing. She's a legendary comedian. Uh, she's going to be on Star Trek Strange New Worlds playing uh, Chief Pelia a seasoned and brilliant engineer who solves problems calmly and suffers no fools whatsoever. That sounds like it could be fun. I hope that her presence will help foster more character dynamics on the series, which th this show seems to thrive. The more its characters get to just like exist alongside each other in day-to-day -day stuff. So 
that's really uh, honestly that's something that the new star trek shows are really killing it with is they, they grasp that concept from the tng era is i want to like all these characters and more than anything i want to like watching them just like live together on this spaceship out in the middle of space so yeah look out for that for season two that's uh that's a good development in my opinion um, here's one that, uh, Chris, you can help me with a little bit. Uh, Netflix's new anime set in the world of CD Projekt Red's cyberpunk franchise titled Cyberpunk Edge Runners got a trickler this week. Um, I am an anime agnostic. I don't really I don't hate anime, but I don't really engage with it all that much. I'm, and, and also, I'm a pretty staunch critic of Netflix's live action adaptations of famous anime shows so you might think this wouldn't interest me but i mean it looks kind of good it looks pretty bonkers um did you see the trailer for this i did not and that's mostly because anything cyberpunk i was like man not interested most most anything netflix releases in terms of Honestly, anything I don't care about unless it's a docu a documentary or a docu series. That's now become like my main jam across any streaming platform. If it's like, oh, we got a new adaptation of this series you love, I don't care. We got a new movie that sounds like good, I don't care. We really we signed this great, I don't care. We're gonna talk about Woodstock '99. I can't watch this fast enough, and now it's done, and I can never watch a, a, another docu-series about that again because there's nothing left to say. Give me more. That's that's my I, jam these I days. Hear, I heard great things about the Woodstock 99 uh, doc. I, I got to watch that one because that one... I remember when they when they were talking about Woodstock 99. I was still a kid, so I had no real concept of what was going on, but I remember as a kid thinking... Well, that sounds like a bad idea. Don't <laughs> don't try to recreate a moment in time like Woodstock. That's a terrible idea. And you know what? I can't emphasize enough how right I was as like an 11 year old kid in saying that was a terrible idea. It was, in fact, a terrible idea. But it's it's yeah, great to watch, watch the Fire Festival documentary on Netflix and then watch Woodstock 99 and it's like, wow, I thought fire festival was pretty bad. This is, this is even worse. All right. Well, yeah, nobody died on at fire fest. If I remember right. Correct. No one died at fire fest, but uh, yeah. Uh, well, anyways, um, yeah, the cyberpunk, uh, edge runners anime, uh, I'm not used to anime, so the trailer to me looked so frenetic, tons and tons of action and, well, just out and out violence, but very stylish visuals, very, uh, very colorful. It's not washed out or, you know, it's not done all in one, you know, kind of palette. It's very, very bright colors, very interesting character designs that I wasn't that prepared for. I the thing is I never played Cyberpunk because I couldn't get past all the really bad noise I was hearing about how buggy mm-hmm. and unfinished it was. Yeah. But on top of that, I have an Xbox One only, so I heard that version of it was really not the right one that you should be playing. But 
I don't know. I, I like cyberpunk as a genre, so this might be up my alley. I was probably one of like 10 people total who watched Altered Carbon on Netflix and really <laughs> dug it. So maybe, maybe this is, you know, my entry point into something vaguely anime. It, I mean, it's not like a hardcore anime that people know. It's based on a video game, but Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's uh, I, I like the fact that Netflix didn't try to just make a cyberpunk live action show and just throw money at it until people watched it. Right. But but anyway, if you are if your interest is peaked at that one, like mine is, uh, that's September third thirteenth. That's coming out. So just right uh, up this week. Uh, all right, let's let's stop beating around the bush. Let's get to the lightning round on Marvel and Star Wars stuff because uh, there's so let's much r- of it. Let's rip on through. All right, so let's start with the MCU. Um, at D23, they showed off new footage from Wakanda Forever to start. That one's, I mean, it's coming soon. That's coming in like November. That looks great. Uh, looks really good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I definitely owe Chris a Coke for calling that they would bring in uh, Namor. The Submariner, and so they did. They show him. I think they did because I saw online that the actor was kind of getting shit for just being in normal physical shape instead of the impossible dehydrated insanity shape. Oh man, I'm I because remember I had said like you know what they should do, they should bring back Warmonger. Like Namor comes out of the sea and he's like, hey, hey, I restored this guy, and then Warmonger's like, oh. I, I'm sad that the child is gone. Now I realize need. I'm gonna change my ways, and I'm already seeing like he's in it too, isn't he? I didn't see that. I, um, I saw. I'm pretty sure I saw like the Black Panther suit with the orange, like the yellow orange glow instead of the purple, because the purple is T'Challa, and they established like the orange yellow glow. That's that's Warmonger. Uh, I gotta go back and rewatch then. I I didn't see anything. I that'd be interesting. At very least, maybe it's like flashback stuff to him in the first one. I don't know, but possibly or or multiverse stuff for sure. Like they're everything. I mean, that's that's the easy fix for anything is multiverse, and I'm okay with that. If you give me a good actor in a good story, I don't care how you get there really. And he still seems game to play the character because he was in the episode of What If. So, I mean, granted, that's voice acting. That's a lot less demanding. But who knows? Um, One thing that we did see, uh, or I I don't know if we saw it in the footage, but it's been announced that uh, Riri Williams apparently will make an appearance in the movie before her Ironheart series on Disney Plus premieres in 2023. And I I take it that her whole deal in the MCU is going to be kind of uniting science and magic sides of things in order to make the Ironheart armor. So that's cool. That that shows coming a little further down the line. But I think that'll be a big hit with people. Uh, and it'll be a real big problem for a lot of other people who have, uh, you know, problems with, you know, black women taking over for their favorite superhero which happens a lot it's gonna be rough that's all (laughs) i'm gonna say it's gonna be a tough sell the comics themselves are already a tough sell for people i don't have a i don't have a pony in this show so i don't 
I didn't read the comics, not because I was like, ooh, gross, but like I just hadn't read comics. And that's all I had on that, basically. So if they make the show, I hope the show's good. Like I'm hoping stuff is good. There's they're yeah. they're making a lot of shows right now and they're kind of doing the usual like they have the creators of the shows angry at the people angry at the show and it doesn't feel good and i it's one of those like okay i'm gonna walk away from this for a while maybe i'll come back later when all of you have calmed down you're not gonna calm down all right i have a lot of other things to do and i hope that's not going to be the case with most of the shows they make yeah, the the whole thing now of like we're acknowledging that people online are gonna be mad no matter what. Don't don't give them air. That's what I have to say. Don't don't give those folks air. They have enough of it already. But yeah. anyways, speaking of hard cells, Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania is gonna be that's gonna be the first movie of Phase Five, and they oh, got some stage I, time. I forget that movie is coming. That's a bad sign. Yeah, That's well, I mean, they're not sign. doing a lot to they're not doing a lot to talk about it really. They didn't have any footage or anything. They got on stage to mostly talk about Kang the Conqueror cuz this is going to be the movie that introduces him. Uh and he's going to be the big bad of Phase 5. It really sounds like Phase 5 is going to be a big restart in this way, like it's going to be a lot more like, oh, go. let's go back to the days where we had a big bad villain that we focused down on and like an ongoing plot that crosses over all the movies instead of phase four, which was just like, I don't know, let's just throw anything at the wall and see what sticks. But yeah, phase four did a lot of damage to the MCU because they it had a promising beginning with WandaVision and I really was interested because I watched WandaVision, uh, Falcon, the Winter Soldier, and Loki. And those three got me like, okay, I'm interested in where we could go from here. You're getting some good setup. All right. And then they did a lot of really unpopular choices with their movies. And mostly all I, because I have not seen a single movie since Endgame other than the two Spider-Man movies, which, you know, don't really matter anymore because Spider-Man is mostly being removed from MCU now that the Sony deal is kind of done. So I'm like, well, most of the cast of the older movies has moved on because the characters have been retired. Uh, you have to rebuild. What are you going to do? And I had really assumed that they were going to not hard reset, but they were really going to be like, okay, we have the X-Men still. We have Fantastic Four. There's so much we can do just with those two properties to start basically spinning up the next phase. And they have done nothing with those properties. And it drives me nuts. They keep teasing those things are coming. And yet they don't do them. And I don't understand why. Well, yeah. I mean, that was kind of the big uh, surprise with the MCU stuff at D23 was they, they said, OK, uh, we're officially announcing Matt Shackman is formally he is the director of fantastic four which everybody kind of knew already it, you know he was quote unquote in talks and like i like i mentioned the last couple of weeks they really needed to hurry and get a director for that movie because it has a release date and that release date is pretty soon but uh yeah the big the big surprise for everybody was no x-men uh news whatsoever which was crazy it's but, a bad sign. 
Uh, I mean, it's a it's a bad sign, at least for a couple of years. I think that they're they're developing that very slowly, and they have just so much stuff already spun up that they need to get out of the jumper before they can move on to it. Mm-hmm. I think they need to exhaust all of their all of their pre Fox acquisition plans before they can get to it. Is the problem? But it's yes. not much of a problem because it's it's content and a lot of it is going to be on Disney Plus rather than in movie theaters. Um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, of course, will be in theaters, as will Captain America New World Order, which uh, the big thing at D23 for news was that Tim Blake Nelson's been announced as the villain, the leader. Hmm. So cool. You know, I mean, I like Tim Blake Nelson. And I think he'll be fun in that. But a lot more of the news was oriented towards Disney Plus, namely the Secret Invasion series is coming in 2023. That's going to be kind of a political intrigue show with like kind of all of our S.H.I.E.L.D. characters that we haven't seen in a while. Nick Fury, uh, Mariah Hill, Martin Freeman's coming back as Everett Ross. Uh, Ben Mendelsohn returns as Talos the Skrull because it's mostly about the Skrulls kind of integrating into Earth. Uh, Don Cheadle's showing up as Rhodey. And then Mm -hmm. Pullman is going to be in possibly as a villain. I'm not sure, but that's kind of big because she's a, you know, a huge legit actress who they must have been vying to get her into the MCU for a while. She's one of those like show off like, hey, look who we got kind of things. Mm hmm. Uh, but down the road, Rhodey will get his own show. They're doing Armor Wars, uh, and it's going to be on Disney Plus rather than a movie, mm-hmm. which which makes sense. Rhodey probably, as a character, probably can't open his own movie. Unfortunately, I like mm-hmm. Rhodey, but a lot of people probably wouldn't go see an, a Rhodey movie without Iron Man. It'd be tough. I mean, I saw the trailer for. Secret Invasion. You were just talking about that, right? Yeah, yeah. Secret Invasion, they had a little little bit of footage for that. That looks terrible. In terms of using the name Secret Invasion, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, crap. Because Secret Invasion is another huge touchstone in the Marvel stories. It's on par with House of M and Civil War and those sorts of things and the Infinity War and all that. Like Secret Invasion is one that they they built towards for a long time and had repercussions afterwards. And instead, it looks like, well, we're not really using anyone but Nick Fury and Maria Hill and Rhodey. And I'm like, okay. So it's a Nick Fury movie, and the scrolls are going to pop in and out, but it's not the Secret Invasion movie. Like, it's the, why are you going to waste that name on it? It's a bummer. It's just a bummer knowing, like, there's going to be, like, my expectations for that title were super high, and now they've shown what it is. I'm like, okay, now I don't care. Because you made me think it was going to be another huge thing, and it's going to be like, ah, it's going to be a cool Nick Fury show, fine. Like, it'll be good, I'm sure. But will I watch it? Probably not. At this point, like, I'll watch it years in, down the road. But I'm still I'm still I'm trying to psych myself up to see so many other series because I don't know which ones are important and which ones aren't. So I feel like I have to watch all of them, which gives me, like, media paralysis where I don't want to watch any of them because I feel like I can't 
if I can't start and, and commit, then I can't do any of it. And that's their problem they've got from on my end. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're, they're saturating the market. They've got so many new mm-hmm. things coming out. And the whole idea of which ones are important and which ones aren't anymore, I think their goal is to get rid of that question. They just want you to watch all of them or at very least as many of them as you can fit into your schedule and not worry about whether or not they're important because it's hard to distinguish these days. You know, the first year of Disney Plus when they had, you know, just one Marvel show at a time. Mm-hmm. And, and even they still only have one Marvel show at a time. But there are people right now who are like, oh, I skipped Ms. Marvel. And, oh, you know, I tried She-Hulk and it wasn't my bag. And people don't feel bad about that anymore. They don't feel like they're missing out on something MCU related. So at this point, the, the strategy has to be, OK, we're just going to throw so much at you that you're going to be watching at least one, possibly two of these at a time. And I feel like it's the, the the difference I've seen between other like streaming services is like Netflix or Amazon, whatever. They'll release a series and they'll release a couple, you know, dozen series over a course of a year. And most people aren't watching every one of them. They watch one, maybe two. And like, I'll get I'll watch the boys over here. I'm going to you know catch up on Stranger Things over here. I'm going to jump over and do pen 15 over here. Like that's the type of stuff that I'll, I'll jump and do that. But with Disney plus, they, they kind of have this problem with Marvel where they're like, we're going to release so many series that are all wildly different tones with different actors and stuff. But because it's all the same universe, you're going to always feel like you need to be watching them roughly in order so that you don't have something spoiled here if you watch that order. And it'll make sense because they're going to be calling back constantly. And it's like, oh, it's it like they're they're they have now hit the very problem that comics have had for a century of once the comics hit the point of now we want to do event stuff. And some people are like, I haven't stayed current with the comics, and there's so much canon to worry about and even if like no 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 you don't have to worry because we, we reset the multiverse people are like i don't care i there's so much canon that like i even if you have reset it uh, you know 10 years ago i haven't caught up on the 10 years ago even if you said reset it last year i haven't caught up on last year like they're at that problem with their mcu and everything assigned with it it's like there's a there is a decade and if you missed any of the decade, like there's part of me that still is like, I feel like I need to go back and watch Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. What did I miss? Probably nothing. But I still have that pull of like, oh, I never I never finished Luke Cage. And I never finished season three of Daredevil. Like, oh, I never watched Iron Fist and neither did anyone else. Well, and, and speaking of those, now that uh, Vincent D'Onofrio and Charlie Cox are back in the MCU as uh, Daredevil and Kingpin, there mi- you might have some pull, you know, to it, mentally to want to go back and rewatch those. Mm-hmm. But you know, unfortunately, those shows, while while hitting a really great tone that I think nothing else has hit in the MCU since. Uh, they didn't have a whole lot going for them plot wise because a lot, you know, most of those uh, Netflix shows were really spinning their wheels. Uh, but mm. maybe all of that will change now that 
those two guys are back in uh, the MCU, there is a Daredevil Born Again series coming to Disney Plus at some point. I don't know if they've even started shooting that yet, but Mm -hmm. I think both characters are going to appear in the Echo series. Uh, Echo is the character who showed up in Hawkeye, played by Alakwa Cox. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, I guess that's their way in with those characters. But that's another thing where it's like, oh, so those guys, so did their show happen? The Netflix show, is that canon? Did that happen? And the the answer to that question seems to be, uh, I don't know, we'll figure it out. And I, I, that's going to throw people, I think. But I'm I'm in because Daredevil's one of my favorite characters, so I'll watch that. And Hawkeye was one of my favorite of the shows this last year on Disney+. Plus, So... I still uh, need to see that. One. That's where I. That's where I stopped. Is because I was like, ah, I'm tired. I don't know about this Hawkeye. I didn't. I don't know because I'm not a fan of Hawkeye to begin with. Yeah, I mean, neither am I. But I think you'll like the show because the show is. It's a two-hander. It's not just Hawkeye trying to hold up a show by himself. It's actually right. more on the shoulders of Haley Steinfeld's character, Kate Bishop. So. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, a lot of great side characters that jump in. But yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where that, that show kind of got lost in the shuffle, I think. And it's one of the better ones because it's street level and it's not like cosmic or crazy. It doesn't have any big powers that it needs to get across on a smaller TV budget. Like, say, mm-hmm. Ms. Marvel, a lot of people hated the way that show looked. I thought it was fine. I thought, you know, the kind of people got off on Ms. Marvel being a little bit Nickelodeon or Disney Channel-esque. And uh, I mean, it's about like a 15-year-old girl or 16-year-old girl. So I think that was a fine tone and visual, you know, aesthetic to go with. But uh, I I admit it's it's one of those things that I, I... each one of those shows, if they all looked distinctly different from each other, they wouldn't fit together very well. But also, mm-hmm. because they have to look the same, it's easy to get overwhelmed by how many of them there are and say, okay, this one's my stopping point. But yeah. but Hawkeye was fun, I thought. Uh, I thought Ms. Marvel was fun, too. I haven't really found one of them that I out and out hated, but... Uh, speaking of Ms. Marvel, the Marvels had some footage as well. That's uh, going to be uh, Iman Vellani as Ms. Marvel, Brie Larson as Captain Marvel, and Tayona Paris as, I guess we're calling her Photon, as I mentioned last week, I think, maybe the week before. Uh, and they're going to be fighting together as well as doing body swapping stuff. So mm-hmm. it's going to be kind of a fun body swap comedy on top of a Marvel action movie. And Goose the Cat, who's actually a flurkin, will return if that does anything for you. <laughs> uh, but the really big thing, the really big thing that I think caught everybody the most was Thunderbolts. And I, I mentioned this one a couple weeks ago. Uh, Thunderbolts has been in the comics as kind of like the new Avengers or kind of more of the dark Avengers. They're almost like the closest thing to a suicide squad that the Marvel Mm. comics have had in a while, you know, it's kind of like the bad boy team up. Yeah. And here it's 
to kind of go back to what you were talking about the phase four movies, it, this is kind of the culmination of all of that stuff. All of the movies that didn't seem to connect to each other, like, you know, uh, the, the black widow movie I thought was perfectly fine. It's a good watch. It's just, you're watching it going, this would have been smarter to do about six or seven years before they did it. And mm-hmm. it seems like too little too late, but it does give us, uh, Florence Pugh as uh, Yelena and it does give us David Harbour as Red Guardian and it does give us uh, Olga Kirilenko as Taskmaster and all three of them are going to be part of the Thunderbolts team alongside uh, Ghost from Ant-Man and the Wasp um, US Agent from uh, 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 <laughs> I'm blanking it's uh, yeah, Falcon and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but it's Wyatt Russell, Kurt Russell's son, playing him. Uh, and then uh, Sebastian Stan's shown up as uh, the Winter Soldier. So that's the group, and you know their whole selling point is, boy, when when Bucky the Winter Soldier is the one of these characters who seems like the most like stable of them, that's a bad sign. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's fun, but. This is basically them finally making good on the Julia Louis-Dreyfus character, the Contessa, showing up and recruiting all of these characters. Mm-hmm. This is the culmination, and it seems like it seems like maybe it was a stumble. Like they didn't tie this stuff up very well, doing just post-credit stinger stuff with all of this, just so that they could do this team up. Uh, it's. I don't know. It seems like it was kind of haphazard. And, and I mean, that doesn't even involve some of the phase four movies like uh, Shang-Chi hasn't had a connection at all, unless you count, you know, some events in She-Hulk connecting back to it. Uh, I was really expecting anything from Shang-Chi to show up in Multiverse of Madness, and it didn't, which was weird. Uh yeah, no, I mean, phase four leading up to Thunderbolts, as it turns out, I think that that's an odd direction, but uh, people seem to be online. People seem to be a little fired up for it, at very least, just because the poster that they released uh, really makes it out to be Sebastian Stan and Florence Pugh's vehicle. Like, it's the two of them as the leads, and people are already shipping Bucky and Yelena, which, well, I don't know. I don't (laughs) know about that. Uh, I'm going to give that the, the full uh, Joel from mystery science theater 3000. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Well, Bucky and, and um, uh, uh, black widow were an item in the comics. If I remember correctly. So, yeah. yeah, so it, it kind of makes sense because Yelena is pretty much the new Black Widow, the mm-hmm. younger and much less expensive Black Widow, at least for now. Yeah. She won't be she won't be unexpensive for a while, you know, in a, in a little bit because she's kind of the biggest star on the planet right now. Mm-hmm. But but they got her on a contract before she was. So that's good for them, I suppose. <laughs> now, my favorite, my favorite thing that they talked about Marvel-wise on D23 so far was Werewolf by Night. I this have is, no idea what it is, because I saw the trailer, I'm like, 
what does this have to do with Marvel? And I'm so confused. Yeah, now I don't know like if it connects to anything in the comics. I've never heard of any of it, but it looks like it's extremely my shit. Uh, it's the thing that's really confusing is that it's it's totally Marvel based. They want you to know that, but they're calling it a special. They're calling it a yeah. special that's dropping on Disney Plus on October seventh, just in time for Halloween. And it's entirely black and white. It's a real throwback to the old Universal monster movies. And it stars Gael Garcia Bernal as Jack Russell, a werewolf fella. A werewolf fella. A werewolf fella. And and that's it. Like, they don't really... I think he might be facing off against Man-Thing. And that might be it. Like, that might be all of the details that I can find on it. It's... I mean, I didn't need much to sell me on that. As a big old tiny midnight monster movie kind of guy, color me excited for it. Or don't color me excited because it's black and white. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It, I have no idea really what it is. And that's kind of what makes me excited for it because I don't know what to expect. But it looks mm-hmm. really cool, I think. It's got to be better than Morbius, right? It's, it's Morbin time. I I saw on Netflix that Morbius dropped on Netflix this weekend, and I started laughing, and I just said, it's Morbin time. <laughs> and everybody else looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's it for the MCU stuff, and whew, what a bunch of stuff. But with, with some Star Wars then, eh? Yep, that's it. We're hitting Lucasfilm. Uh, before we get to Star Wars, another Lucasfilm property... Uh, Willow, the sequel series on Disney Plus uh, to the 1988 fantasy movie, the Ron Howard movie. Uh, It got a trailer that shows, hey, in this world of, you know, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon. Disney Plus has their own epic fantasy series on the way, but uh, this one might actually have a sense of humor. So that's that's kind of their selling point. Would you like to would you like to smile during one of those shows? Come to this one. Uh, that one's supposed to drop on November 30th. So uh, cool. I'm excited for that. I liked Willow when I was a kid. Um, let's see. Star Wars wise, there was a final trailer for Andor, which they're promising a really gritty spy thriller. And I really hope that that's not a false bill of goods. I really want. I really want it to be as much a spy thriller as it is your basic star Wars action adventure extravaganza. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this relentless assault of more star Wars stuff means more genres have to get explored eventually like that. So I yeah. think it's possible. Uh, it's possible. It might actually be what they're selling it as. Hmm. Yeah. The sneak peek that they did drop on Disney Plus the other day, I watched that, and it's like an entire scene of just Cassie and Andor and uh, the Stellan Skarsgård character just, like, negotiating, and he's kind of recruiting him to the rebellion. It's a really good scene, even if it was just buckets and buckets of exposition. It's It seems like they're trying to cover a lot of ground on this show in not a whole lot of time they mm-hmm. they clearly have a a path they have a series bible for this one 
where they're like, this could go for one season if it's not a hit, or it could go for five seasons and we'll have a full idea of, you know, you know, ending up where he is in Rogue One. So, yeah, yeah, it's I, I think that it'll probably end up being a not as immediate of a hit as Obi-Wan was, obviously, because it doesn't have that character and that actor's immediate recognizability. But it's possible that this one just has more longevity, though, which I think is good. I think they need to start aiming away from, wouldn't you like to come hang out with your old friends again? And actually just start making things about new original characters. Mm Mm-hmm. But until they do that, they still have stuff like Tales of the Jedi, uh, which is an animated series for Star Wars. Uh, They dropped some footage for this one. This one is an anthology series with stories about a bunch of different things. Mostly uh, there's a lot of young Ahsoka taking her first steps on the path of the Jedi. Uh, There's the rise and fall of a young Count Dooku, which that sounds interesting to me. I always maintained that'd be a cool Star Wars story is show me that guy as a young Jedi, you know, rat scallion, like fighting space pirates. That'd be cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, that entire six-episode uh, series is going to drop all together on October 26th. So yeah. that that's kind of one that they're kind of like, oh, we don't know. Maybe this will work. They don't seem terribly confident in it. What they do seem terribly confident in is Mandalorian Season 3. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's easy money. It is. They, they dropped a full trailer for it, and it looks, it looks pretty good. They are they're finally, I think, fulfilling some of the things that they've been hinting at for years now, which is the politics of Mandalorian culture. They're going to do a lot on what the consequences are for stuff that happened in season one and two uh, with Mando. You know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to say stuff without ruining it for anybody in case you haven't watched. I know, Chris, you haven't watched Mandalorian at all, right? Correct. Yeah, it's I mean, the first couple of the first two seasons and then the episodes of uh, Book of Boba Fett that are just Mandalorian episodes. <laughs> I, you know, I'm an easy sell. Of course, this is exactly my kind of thing. But when it became apparent in season two, we're shifting away from, you know, Bounty of the Week, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, but in space kind of stuff. And we're going to aim a little bit more towards like heavy lies the crown, but the crown is, you know, the Mandalorian helmet kind of thing. Like, is he going to become the, the chief of his culture? And that stuff can be good. I hope that they take it in their own direction instead of constantly referencing the animated stuff from clone wars and rebels. That's fun, but it's only fun to a point. And this show needs to be its own show now. Season two was frequently halted completely by, hey, you remember this character from the animated show? Well, now they're a live action character. Isn't that fun? Isn't that neat? <laughs> it, it is. It is neat. But I'd like this show to be its own show now still. it's It's got enough. It's got Carl Weathers. It's got Amy Sedaris. 
it's got you know it's it's got the almighty baby yoda um one thing that's very cool from that trailer that i will spoil babu frick the best character from rise of skywalker makes an appearance uh i loved babu frick so that's that's cool that he's he's coming back in some way shape or form somebody wisely was like hey the kids like babu frick let's put him in mando (laughs) Um, the Ahsoka show is coming soon. Rosario Dawson, of course, is starring. Hayden Christensen's coming back as Darth Vader. Uh, I think I saw Ray Stevenson is going to be the series villain. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is going to be in an unknown role. And likely the show is going to be about Ahsoka searching the galaxy for Grand Admiral Thrawn and Ezra Bridger from Rebels. They disappeared into like unknown space at the end of rebels. So yeah, that that's another case of more animated characters coming into live action. Isn't that neat? I, okay. Okay. It's uh, people are going to like that one. Cause Ahsoka is a character that can't be stopped. People really love Ahsoka. I think, I think Ahsoka is a good character, but she's not, she's not like a character for me on the same like ledge as like obi-wan or luke skywalker or even mandalorian uh, mm-hmm. for me. but uh let's see jude law is starring in star wars skeleton crew a show that we know almost nothing about but it it does take place during the same time period as mandalorian so about a handful of years after return of the jedi and it's about a group of kids uh, supposedly it's kind of inspired by the Goonies. Mm. Okay. You know, fine. I don't know anything more beyond that. And I don't think we will for a while, but cool. I guess it's more star Wars. Uh, I, if I had to guess, it's probably going to be about a group of kids who are orphaned by the war or they were taken by the empire as new recruits, kind of like segueing into the first order, you know, Finn growing up brainwashed kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I had to belch. <laughs> but, um, uh, last Star Wars thing. Not much is known about this one either, but it's Star Wars The Acolyte. This is the show that I'm most excited about because it's created. Well, first of all, it's created by Leslie Headland, who's the co-creator of Netflix's Russian Doll. I think that show is awesome. So that bodes well. Yeah, um, it takes place in the High Republic era of Star Wars. That's another thing that I think bodes well. Um, the High Republic is a new kind of pinpoint in the the canon uh, time wise. It takes place 200 years before the Skywalker saga, so it's kind of fertile ground for not just new stories but new characters that we've never seen before. And that's been the real highlight of the uh book and comic book side of star wars in the last year or two is hey this is star wars that doesn't lean so heavily on the skywalker stuff like we don't we don't even have sith in this era so you don't have to deal with that crap anymore it's just let's tell stories that you know we want to tell without the burden of it having to fit into the 30 years or so of star Wars that we already know. Thank goodness. And it's also kind of an interesting era. Cause it's like King Arthur kind of stuff, but almost meeting 
like an old west frontier kind of setting because it's it's a period where the republic is expanding into the outer rim for the first time so there's a lot of lawless sections of the galaxy where okay there is no authority so the jedi are the only authority they're kind of like texas rangers out in the middle of the wilderness almost uh but anyway the the newest piece of news recently about the acolyte is that the male lead of the show is going to be lee jung jay i'm i think oh crap i'm probably pronouncing that wildly wrong (laughs) but he is the breakout star of squid game and uh, I, I didn't watch a lot of Squid Game. What I did watch, he is great in it. It's just a very depressing show, so I couldn't get through it. Um, yeah, it's a bummer. It's a great show, but it's a bummer. It's a, huge, it's a huge bummer, but he's good in it. And he's starring opposite uh, Amanda Stenberg, who was most recently seen in the horror comedy Bodies, 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 which just came out a bit ago. So... Yeah, it's uh, it sounds like they're really going with a diverse, you know, fresh faced cast. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to anchor it around a beloved actor that, you know, and love. They're going to go with people that they think are new and exciting. And I think that's a smart idea. I think that Star Wars needs to get further away from, you know, further away from relying on your favorites to keep showing up because you know mark hamill's getting up there in age and i'm sure that we would love to see him forever and ever but i i want him also to get a break i don't i don't want star wars to hinge fully on whether or not everyone's happy with this exact perfect image of luke skywalker that we all want mm-hmm but uh, anyway, uh, one last thing. It is Lucasfilm, but it's not Star Wars. We did mention Indiana Jones 5 earlier. And not a whole lot on that, but Harrison Ford showed up to D23. Uh, did, you see th- did you see that photo of him uh, hugging uh, the actor who, crap, I don't remember his name, uh, the, the guy who was in Everything Everywhere All at Once? I and did short see that. And he, that actor is getting a good resurgence right now. I'm so happy for him. And I did see that photo. It was beautiful. It was, it was heartwarming, for sure. It was. It was really a highlight of the weekend for me, was seeing that shared over and over again on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and, and I really hope that if Indiana Jones 5 works out, maybe Short Round can come back. I don't know if he's in Indy 5. Probably not. but. You know, I this I think I think this is the very last one for Harrison Ford. He's so up there in age and he's so kind of done with dealing with this crap, which I don't blame him. But, you know, if this is a true passing of the torch, I mean, I like that Harrison Ford's response to like, well, how is this franchise going to work without you? You know, once you're dead, he's. He just kind of like laughs and goes, you don't get it. I am Indiana Jones. When I'm dead, that's it. That's the end. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I'm kind of fine with that, but I'm sure Disney isn't. So, oh, yeah, you know, they got inevitably, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is probably going to become the lead of an Indiana Jones-like franchise at the very least. Because she yeah. is his sidekick this time out. 
Now, one thing that I wanted to mention, because the internet has been kind of cautious and kind of leery about her starring in this movie with them, not because people don't like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, but people remembered, oh yeah, in Indiana in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's a lot of hay made about how Marion Ravenwood was like 14 when she started having sex with Indiana Jones, who was a full-blown adult. Oh no, that's gross. We don't want to think about that because we like Indy and we don't want to, we don't want to go down that road. So mm -hmm. people are now talking like, Oh no, is Phoebe Waller-Bridge a romantic interest for Indy now that he's in his mid to late seventies? Yeah. And Thankfully, that is not the case. She is reportedly playing his goddaughter. Hmm. So, yeah, not playing a romantic interest with the old curmudgeon. Uh, but anyway, outside of that little piece of news, uh, not a lot going on with that one yet. Uh, they did drop a trailer just for the live audiences. And the reports of it have been that it looks like fun. It's got all the classic stuff he's he's making the big punch sound effects uh he's, he's much older so that's why they have somebody young with him but it's a little bit less you know overtly passing the torch like uh kingdom of the crystal skull was supposed to be mm -hmm. and great cast behind him granted there was a great cast behind him in crystal kingdom as well uh crystal skull rather but in this one, we've got Mads Mikkelsen. I'm sold. I'm Mads about Mads. Uh, <laughs> Boyd Holbrook. Okay, I like him. He was good on Narcos. Um, Antonio Banderas and Toby Jones. Now, what are, what are the odds that Toby Jones is playing, say, a Nazi? Even though this probably has to take place in like the 70s at this point, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What are your thoughts on Indiana Jones five? Are you at all interested? No, <laughs> not <laughs> even. Um, Crystal Skull was enough for me to go. Oh, never mind. I like the first three. Um, I in I I was you know I was a big fan of Indiana Jones for a hot minute through high school and college a little bit. Um, I dressed up as them frequently. But yeah, after Crystal Skull, I was like, oh, okay, never mind, I'm done. I think that's that's enough. Like, I wasn't on the hate train for Crystal Skull, but I definitely was like, well, whatever, whatever Indiana Jones boat there was, I'm getting off at this port and I'm gonna wave goodbye. So when they're like, we're doing the fifth one, I'm like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I don't know about, I don't want to see it. Like, I I know that if they don't kill him in this one they should have killed him in this one and i don't really want to see either situation <laughs> so yeah that's my on five i'm absolutely with you that there's no good scenario with it because if you don't kill him off here then you're still leaving open the window that he could come back again and i don't think that's ever going to happen mm -hmm. i think I mean, honestly, it's why the end of Last Crusade was the perfect ending. They literally ride off into the sunset. That's the ending you should give Indiana Jones. So, mm -hmm. I, uh, I, so I recently tried to show the movies to the kids, and 
I think we still need a couple of years before they can follow along. But oddly, Robert got super into Last Crusade specifically, which made me. It is my favorite, actually. So it made me feel great because I'm like, I'll rewatch this a hundred times. Are you kidding? But he he really liked the dynamic between uh, between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. He thought it was very fun. Mm-hmm. And he's right. That's exactly the reason that movie works better than it has any right to. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I tried showing him Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and he just even though he's gotten in with that one, which is the Lego uh, game, the Lego Indiana Jones game. Uh, has a lot of Crystal Skull stuff in it because it came out about that time. And he was interested because he's like, oh, this is just like the level from the game. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then just the movie is such a slog for the first hour or so. It doesn't really kick into high gear until it's way too late. And by that point, there are too many characters and they're all going so fast to nowhere that... Mm-hmm. You, you just can't, you know, you, especially for a little kid. It's just I I don't have the energy for this. I remember when that one came out on DVD and my dad skipped it in the theater, but he was like, I bought it on DVD. This is going to be a great night. Let's throw it on. And he he took a solid nap in the middle of that movie. <laughs> and and I don't blame him. It's it's long and it's a slog. It's there are people who have tried to repair the reputation of that movie in recent years we mentioned the blank check guys they did an episode on it and the whole episode was them kind of trying their best to explain no this movie is brilliant in a couple of ways at very least like this and they made (laughs) points but even with all of that even all with with all that context in the back of my head i couldn't reconcile how dull it was and (laughs) and a mess it was now this one I think it might work out better than that one because it's not Spielberg. It's Mm. James Mangold who I trust James Mangold. He's a good director. He makes good movies. Uh, 310 to Yuma is a terrific movie. Logan was a terrific movie. Uh, Even Ford versus Ferrari is a very like, you know, dad, you know, watches it on a plane kind of movie, but it's still really engaging. And I feel like he wouldn't have signed on to this if he didn't have a very good idea of what he wanted out of it. So I don't know. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic for it, but it really, it helps me that Harrison Ford seems a lot more enthusiastic about this than he did any of those star Wars sequels. And Mm -hmm. And uh, Crystal Skull. That one, he felt it felt like he had a gun to his head during it. This one, not so much. Like he actually showed up at D twenty three. That's something. I don't think he did for Force Awakens even. Yeah. Well, speaking of long slogs, we we've been <laughs> over two hours and change. Yeah, and and as luck would have it, that's it. That's all the news. That's all the news ever. Uh, that I had no other news at all said anywhere. Nothing else happened this week anywhere. That was it. And of course, what what happens to me? I picked the idiot thing of putting the podcast up on Mondays now. So <laughs> naturally, all of the news is going to happen on Monday as soon as we post. Oh, but uh, 
But yeah, until until more news posts, uh, this has been a very extra long episode, an extra large sandwich, and we hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the show already, please do so in your podcatcher of choice. And uh, uh, follow us on Twitter at media underscore sandwich for everything that posts up on the lovely www.media-sandwich.com. We've got blog posts and some videos upcoming. I keep threatening. <laughs> and uh, if you have any news tips, submit them there at Twitter, or uh, you can email us at mediasandwichshow at gmail.com. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Kyle Martinak and Chris. I am at the Chris Prayer. Absolutely. Follow us there for some wonderful hijinks. A lot of it is us just trading jokes with Dan, who, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, that's that's fun stuff to witness, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, 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 and then just uh, keep listening. Write us a review. Uh, be a pal and help out with the show's visibility that way if you can. But thank you so much for listening and indulging us in our long rants about Disney related stuff this week. <laughs> it's been a real, real Disney sandwich. but. Uh, yeah, until we get some more news that's not Disney related, I'm Kyle Martinak. I'm Chris Bringer. And, uh, let's go have a sandwich. Let's get a sandwich. Mm-hmm.